conclusion, our um, series of messages, a guide for making musical choices. And tonight we want to look at the right kind of music. Over the past number of weeks, I've been giving you Bible principles um, for making wise choices in the music you listen to and the kind of music we should have here in our church. Uh, we've talked about, uh, in recent weeks, the God of music. Uh, we spent uh, a couple of uh, Sundays on the sound of music. Uh, we spent a couple of Sundays on the gospel of music. I believe many of the uh, styles of music and the things that are going on in the name of Christianity today are really another gospel, like Paul talks about. It's a perversion of the gospel. Uh, they sound uh, in the sense of the words that are said and maybe sung and so forth. Uh, it sounds like it's biblical, but really it's not. And then the music that goes along with it, the actually accompaniment is uh, sent as a different message. And many of the examples I've given you have been what, according to the Bible principles we've talked about, are the wrong kinds of choices. And this evening I want to wrap up our study by talking about the right kind of music Christians should have in their lives. Now we've seen in Ephesians chapter 5, this has kind of been our theme verse, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. But as it goes on in that particular chapter, it talks about a spirit-filled Christian will be careful to put to the test everything that comes in his life. And then as it goes on down uh, in verse 19, it talks about speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. After, of course, uh, verse 19 follows verse 18. That's what I've uh, noticed uh, the, the way the Bible usually works. Uh, uh, 19 verse uh, follows 18. And uh, so what's verse 18 say? Be filled with the Spirit. Okay, so uh, it's uh, the first thing that Paul talks about after being filled or controlled with the Spirit is Psalm 19, or I mean uh, Ephesians 5 and verse 19, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, music is given for the believer for his edification and his admonition. But music does not and cannot replace the Word of God. It's one of the reasons there are so many unbiblical church surfaces taking place today where they have maybe 45 and the 50 to 60 minutes of, of uh, singing and uh, worship, uh, what they call worship and praise and... and uh, uh, music, and then they have a little sermonette at the conclusion of the service. And so uh, there's nothing long, uh, wrong with singing, uh, but uh, we not, must not say that our singing is going to replace. We're not just going to have uh, uh, 25 minutes here tonight of singing and then uh, uh, say the benediction and go home. Uh, this is a Bible preaching church, and we must put a premium on the preaching of God's Word. And uh, you might ask why that is. Well, because God does. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? 
For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now, while we put preaching of God's word as a top priority, what about the music we have in our church? We do have music and we've enjoyed singing these good old hymns and some new hymns uh, and songs tonight. Uh, Again, we've given many uh, wrong choices for music as an example. So what makes up the right kind of music, as we often say, Christ honoring music? I want you to turn with me tonight to an Old Testament uh, passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 5. And before we get into these elements of right music or Christ honoring music, let me just give you some background to this particular passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 5. And uh, we're going to look particularly, first of all, at verse 12. And uh, we're going to see here the scene, the setting is Solomon's temple dedication. Notice verse 12 in 2 Chronicles chapter 5. Verse 12 says, Also the Levites, which were the singers of all the, of them of Asaph, of Heman, of Jadutha, with their sons and their brethren, being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals and psalteries and harps, stood at the east end of the altar, and with them an hundred and twenty priests, sounding with trumpets. Wow. A hundred and twenty trumpets. Can you imagine what that must have sounded like? The beautiful trumpet fanfare announcing the beginning of these ceremonies. And there were along with the trumpets other instruments like cymbals and psalteries and harps. This wasn't just a small ensemble or even a hundred piece symphonic orchestra. One historian suggests that there were not only 120 trumpets, but there were 4,000 in the orchestra and 200,000 in the choir. Our choir loft would be a little cramped with 200,000 people. And what a beautiful sound the Lord heard that day. Uh, Some might say, well, this music must have really been loud, even louder than rock groups today. No. Those who studied sound and volume say that it does not increase in proportion to number. And we could go into all kinds of technicalities here along this line. I'll not do that tonight, but uh, they say that it does not increase with proportion to number. Now, I don't want you to get in, I don't want to get into the technical aspects of this, but we need to be careful that we take care of our bodies that God has given to us, including our eardrums. Many young people are going deaf today because of the volume of their music. And sometimes it's because they put earbuds into their ears and they crank it up. And it's destroying their bodies, which are uh, supposed to be taken care of for the Lord. But now notice with me the elements from this passage here, or characteristics of good music which pleases the Lord. First of all, the element of unity. Continue on there in verse 13. It came even to pass as the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. 
And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and the cymbals and the instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His mercy endureth forever, that then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord. Now notice the first part of the verse. The first part says, It came even to pass, as the trumpeters and singers were as one. To make one sound to be heard. Unity is vital in Christ-honoring music. Now, notice here in talking about unity, to improvise or not. I don't know if you know what improvisation is, but to improvise is to compose or perform on the spur of the moment without any specific uh, preparation. Now, is all of improvisation wrong? Well, not necessarily, because I think... uh, uh, many pianists do a certain amount of improvising, including my wife. Uh, she uh, uh, doesn't play every note that is in the book. She uh, uh, skips some and she adds some. You know, when you add a little bit of uh, uh, there and there, that's called, kind of called improvisation uh, when, uh, for congregational singing. But this can be carried too far and becomes a distraction rather than an element of unity. It's what jazz musicians and many contemporary Christian music musicians do. It's a, in other words, it's do your own thing kind of philosophy. It teaches relativism or that there are no absolutes. You can do this and you can do that and we'll just try to put it all together. There's no right or wrong. There's no uh, black or white here. And it's really the basis for much of the New Age movement, which we have uh, uh in our uh, day, and, day and age, many times church musicians uh, don't do much practice. And I appreciate those who are in our choir, who are faithful and coming to choir practice. Can you imagine, and my, our choir would probably cringe if we said, we're not going to practice, I'm just going to announce the song and we'll sing it Sunday morning, okay? Whatever song... I decide we're going to sing, we'll just sing it. We won't practice. You suppose that'd sound very good? I think uh, I'd lose some choir members for one thing. Uh, they'd say, I don't know that song. Well, they say that in practice sometimes, and they say, I don't know that song. Well, I say, let's learn it. Okay? And that's why we practice. Um, now, do we achieve pr- perfection? No, we don't achieve perfection, but there is a balance between preparation uh, through diligent practice and striving for protection, uh, perfection. Uh, practice is needed to present our best to the Lord, not the best necessarily, but to present our best. Now, some Christians are of the opinion that practicing to praise the Lord is overdoing something that should just become nat- that should just come natural. An attitude of, well, let's just get together before the service and run over what we're going to sing. Well, they run over it right, all right. I mean, they run over it and it becomes roadkill. And doesn't reflect the importance that the Bible places on music. Now, I've been guilty of doing that before, but usually I sing songs I know that I've practiced for years. 
and I go over them one more time or something before the service. But you know, if we look at Ephesians 5.19, it says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. This is addressed to the church at Ephesus and not just to an individual. I think it, uh, it has to apply to individuals first so it can be practiced in the local church. But this is not just speaking of yourself, speaking to yourself and singing to yourself so no one else can hear it. Now, sometimes that might be the good thing to do. But uh, it's not talking about just singing to yourself in the home or in the office or in the car or in the shower. But it's speaking to yourselves. He's talking to the local church there. And we're admonished to speak to or among ourselves, our brothers and sisters in Christ, as a part of the local church. And why? Because we want to edify one another and we want to promote purity of heart by songs of praise. And notice again at the end of the verse, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart. Where? To the Lord. To the Lord. We must be very careful about singing to people. You know, when we have even special numbers, it's not that someone gets up here and sings to the congregation. We're supposed to sing to the Lord, and you're just listening in. Our praise and our song should be to God. Giving forth our praise to God. And so, secondly, notice music edifies. Someone has said group singing can be found in practically every culture as a means of sharing joy, grief, love, and unity. Music can be used as an effective tool to gain unity. You know, families that sing together are brought closer together through that experience. Now, I believe that's one of the key elements that's kept our family so close. Uh, we've spent a lot of time singing together as a family when our children were, were young. Um, my parents encouraged our family to sing together. And we're still close, even though I believe our closeness has waned over the years because of some of the theological and musical choices that my brothers and sisters have made. You say, well, my family's not very musical. Well, if you sing together in, in your home, nobody else is hearing it. <laughs> sing unto the Lord. Don't sing because you want to achieve perfection. Just sing unto the Lord. Sing songs with your children. Sing songs as a family. It'll bring you closer together. It's a unifying aspect. Large groups can be brought together uh, to better unity by singing together. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons. It's not the only reason, but it's one of the reasons why we have congregational singing. To unify us. We're all singing the same song. What if tonight we said, okay, you're going to have uh, request night, and you raise your hand, and you make your request all at the same time, and we'd have all these numbers going, and uh, you sing the song that's your favorite, and you sing the song that's your favorite. Everybody sing your own favorite song all at the same time. Well, that'd be chaos, wouldn't it? That would not be unity. And so singing together brings unity. God has placed much emphasis on music in His Word because music has a tremendous power to unify His people. 
Isaiah 52, verse 8 and 9 says, Thy watchmen shall lift up the voice, with the voice together shall they sing, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord shall bring again Zion. Break forth into joy, sing together, ye waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord hath comforted his people, he hath redeemed Jerusalem. Turn with me for a moment to Romans chapter 5. Excuse me, Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, and we'll not uh, spend a long time in this, uh, but uh, just another example, a wonderful example of how the Lord uh, gives to us an example through Paul of uh, unity in our church music. Romans chapter 15, Paul writes in verse uh, verse 5, Now the Lord of patience and Consolation grants you to be what? Like-minded. Like-minded. In verse 6, he asked that they may with one mind and one mouth glorify God. In verse 7, he further urges them to receive one another. Verse 7, wherefore receive you one another. What is one of the means by which all this is to accomplish or become reality? Well, the answer is found out in verse 9, where it says, And the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy, for as it is written, For this cause I will confess among the Gentiles, and sing unto thy name. That's how you accomplish this like-mindedness, this oneness, this receiving one another. The congregation which sings together with a heart and mind prepared for the message, uh, prepares for the message together. And it'll be unified, and it'll even reach unsaved with one voice, one mind, one heart, and one spirit. There's the element of unity. Now notice, secondly, the element of praise and thankfulness. The element of praise and thankfulness. Back in 2 Chronicles chapter 5 and verse 13, again, notice what it says there. It came to pass as the trumpeters and the singers that were as one, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and the cymbals and the instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever, that then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord. Now, throughout the Bible, we find how music can be a marvelous way to praise and thank the Lord. This is the great theme of the book of Psalms, as well as other places. Notice, there's the aspect of meaningful praise. Contemporary Christian music has placed a considerable emphasis on praise. You have praise worship, you have praise bands, you have uh, uh, this time of singing and praise... Well, that's good. But I'm afraid the songs uh, that they sing contain, uh, uh, do not contain meaningful praise. The meaningful praise is scarce. We've often heard the description of many of the contemporary songs of the day as being 7-Eleven songs, right? Seven words repeated 11 times. And there's nothing wrong with repetition but music must not be trite or irreverent or shallow as many of the songs are today. It would seem that the goal of most contemporary musicians is to entertain, not to edify. 
Again, let me remind you again of Colossians 3 and verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Notice again, right there is the same principles we had in Ephesians chapter 5. There's not much teaching and admonishing going on in the entertainment music presented today. Contemporary religious musicians are often more concerned about relevancy of music than they are about its scriptural character. One of them said this, We must adapt to the musical styles that young people like if we're to win them to Christ. That's nonsense. That's nonsense. The great God of heaven is not shut up to the employment of the world's musical styles in order to convert the lost. His Holy Spirit is able to break through hard hearts uh, 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 of young people as well as older people. And to bring them to a saving knowledge of His Son without employing wild and godless musical techniques in doing so. Meaningful praise. There's much confusion. Someone has said this. The lyrics which God honored in the Bible were somewhat different from the average contemporary Christian song. They extolled the greatness of God and His mighty works. His glory was the central theme and His praise was the aim. If one were to remove all the first and second pronouns from much of the contemporary Christian music, they would be humming most of the time. God said through Isaiah... I will not give my glory to another. Have you ever noticed how many of the contemporary Christian songs talk about I this, I that, you, I, and you, I, and you. They use that's a first and second pronoun, by the way. That's your English lesson for the night. I and you. And you can't tell whether they're singing to a person or they're singing to God. This issue of music is surrounded by confusion within the Christian community. The Lord has given His people guidelines in His Word and the principle as one to make one sound, praising and thanking the Lord, singing unto the Lord. And yet the message of those most visible primarily in what are called the electronic church today is at best weak and often confusing and frequently in contradiction with the Word and their own actions and statements. We also have the sacrifice of praise. I think there's a very important principle that you'll find in God's Word. One of the ways that a child of God can bring pleasure to the Lord is through the medium of music. Making or listening to music involves the heart. That's the emotions. The mind, that's the intellect. And the body, that's the hand, feet, and lips, and the mouth. By the way, notice how I, I listed them. The heart, the mind, and the body. The heart or the spirit is the most important. We've talked about that in past uh, messages here. The Lord is pleased when we're all surrendered to Him. Not only the spirit or the mind, uh, the the heart, but the mind and the body as well. And this kind of approach to music involves sacrifice, not entertainment. Hebrews 13, 15, and 16 says, By Him, that is Jesus Christ, Therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. And for such, uh, for with such sacrifice, 
sacrifices, God is well pleased. Now, if we go back to 2 Chronicles chapter 5, we find one more element of Christ honoring music here. It's the element of power. It's the element of power. The fruit and final result of music that honors the Lord is power. The unique manifestation of God's overwhelming presence is the effect uh, the effect of the right kind of sacred music. This is not a shallow emotional high, but a powerful moving of the Spirit of God. Notice again, it says that he, it came even to pass as the trumpeters and the singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and the cymbals and the instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever, that then the house was filled with a cloud even the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. Now we could spend a great deal of time on this aspect of Christ honoring music, but let me just give you a few principles from this passage. Number one is, clouds in the Bible are a sign of God's presence and power. Now today we have the internet cloud that's, the, that's where all your, your, your stuff goes. It's kind of spooky, isn't it? That all your stuff will go to some, some place and you don't know where it's going. It's just out there somewhere. But you know, in the Bible, when it talks about a cloud, that's a sign of, uh, of the power of God. It's a symbol of the power of God. The Israelites were led through the wilderness by a cloud. The Lord frequently appeared to His people in a cloud. A bright cloud overshadowed them, it says in the Scripture. And a voice spoke at the Lord's transfiguration in Matthew 17. It tells us in the New Testament, when the Lord ascended into heaven, a cloud received Him out of their sight in Acts 1.9. And He's going to come back in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. That's what it actually says in Matthew 24 and verse 30. Now here in our text in 2 Chronicles, God responded to His people's music of unity and praise and thanksgiving. And that's the kind of music we need today. The kind of result is needed today. It will not be achieved by turning up the volume. Neither will it be accomplished by bouncing and gyrating to a sensual beat. Nor will the powerful presence of the Lord become a reality by the crooning syrupy, simple, trite, shallow, and meaningless lyrics. Let me just give you something extra. I'm going to throw this in tonight. Uh, I did plan to do this, but really, I didn't know. When I started thinking about uh, the way people sing these days, you know, they get a microphone and they get it right up here. There's a reason why, and if... Jordan would turn this microphone on, I would, uh, could demonstrate that a little bit more. There's a reason why we don't sing into the microphone like this. Now, you could hear me back here, couldn't you? You could hear me fine. Of course, I have a microphone on, you can hear me. I don't need to get up here and get in the, into the microphone, but that's the way they're singing today. And there's a reason for uh, why we don't encourage handheld microphones for singing. It's called the principle of territoriality. The physical boundary that separates a person from this external environment and other people. 
let me demonstrate this. You can see the diagram that I've given to you on there, but I'm going to ask my wife to come here and help me with this demonstration, this illustration. She's the only one I can do this with. But up there on the, on the screen, you see there is a, a diagram. It's kind of like a circle here, and I'm in the circle. And, and with many of you folks, when I uh, talk to you, it may be about at this distance right here. Now, when you come by and shake our hands, uh, it might be at arm's length, right? This is the social area. This is the personal area. But this is the intimate area. And when someone gets their microphone up to their mouth, they're getting into your intimate area. And you won't allow that, will you? Yes, you may sit down. You wouldn't allow that. And you ladies would be really upset if some other lady in the church got up to your husband in that particular area. And rightly so. But that's the same effect that a microphone up to the mouth does. And then if you go on and use the sensual, breathy sounds that many of the uh, singers will use these days, then it becomes even more sensual and intimate. Proverbs 5 and verse 3 says, For the lips of the woman drop as a honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. Some female vocalists invite sexy thoughts because of voice inflection. Now, did I make that up? Did some uh, uh, Christian uh, musician say that? No. A, that is a direct quote from a rock mu- uh, magazine. They admit that they're trying to uh, give a sensual effect to their singing. And yet Christians are trying to use that same technique and they're going to say it's okay. Well, we just want to, we want to be able to, people to hear us. Usually the reason why you have to get up there and sing close to the microphone is because the band is so loud you have to get up there close enough so you can hear it. This magazine also said vulgar lyrics supported by provocative sound results in musical pornography. That's the opinion of the world about these sounds. And, and that's the, one of the reasons why I discourage this kind of thing and, won't, and really won't uh, have it as a part of our music program. We've we, uh, got a microphone here that is really uh, adequate for you to hear. We don't have to get up close and swallow the microphone. Besides that, spreads germs. Isaiah 23.15 says, After the end of seven years shall Tyra sing as a harlot. There is such a thing as singing like a harlot. And many of these gospel female singers are singing like the harlot. Now those who believe that the Lord is honored and magnified by these methods, they're deceived by their infatuation with the world's sound and deluded by their emotions. You see, music unto the Lord must avoid the sound of the world if it's to have power for good. 
Notice also in this element of power, music with power for good. If you go on and study Second Chronicles and you look in chapter 20, you'll find how the people's faith was manifested. The singing was an act of or expression of faith and confidence in the Lord. Second Chronicles 20, 22 says, And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Zir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. Prayer plus faithfulness, or prayer with faithfulness, plus praise in song unto the Lord results in victory. There are many, many, many other examples in the Scripture concerning this. Remember, for instance, the account in Acts where Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God. The power of God was the result. There was an earthquake. There was a release from prison. And the jailer and his family came to God. It wasn't just a physical power. It was a spiritual power. David played on his heart for King Saul in 1 Samuel 16 and reveals three ways in which music affects a person. Spiritually, mentally, or emotionally, and physically. Another example is found in Psalm 51 in verses 14 through 19 where King David confessed, uh, David's, King David's confession resulted in song and God's pleasure. 2 Kings chapter 3 contains yet another instance where music played a part as God gave the victory to the Israelites. And no doubt, if time would allow, we could give many, many, many more examples of how faithfulness with prayer plus praise in song equals victory. Now let me just conclude by saying it has been my desire through the study that we've had to give you principles by which you can prove what is acceptable unto God. Now, we've not exhausted by any means all that we that could have said or seen in the Word of God on this subject of music. And let me give you just three thoughts in conclusion. Number one, seek and set. Colossians 1, uh, 3, 1 and 2 says, If ye then be risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. When confronted with choices in music, many people, even Christians, will say, but I like this kind of music, or I like and I, uh, I like that music. Yeah, I know that there's problems with it, but you know, I just can't help myself. I like it. You know, I could, I could very easily like a lot of the world's music myself. But we need to seek those things which are above. We need to set our affections on things above. The Lord reminds us that likes and dislikes, tastes and preferences are determined by the Christian. And they must be in accordance to God's word. How is that? Well, secondly... Be renewed. Ephesians 4.22 and 23 says that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed. Be transformed, as it says in, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. 
seek and set, be renewed and claim the power of God. I realize I could no doubt have more effectively communicated these principles from God's Word, but I trust you realize the importance of having the right kind of music in your life. And in our church as well. I trust that also the music in our church and in our homes will have the right kind of power to which the Scripture bears witness. In 2 Kings 3.15 it says, Now bring me a minstrel, that is a musician. And it came to pass when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. That's the power of God. That's not the spirit of this world. That's not the the, uh, emotionalism of this world. It's the power of God came upon him. And that's the kind of power we need in our lives. I trust as God enables us, we can make sure that we have made the right kind of choices, the right kind of music choices in our lives and in our church. Let's pray. Father in heaven.